0: and a strength of Canada from, from Confederation, through the wars, through the 1970s and 80s, was we had an upward curve when it comes to home ownership. And as you know, that, that builds stronger communities. When you own a place, you, you you give back. You're more likely to volunteer. You care about your neighbors. You, your kids tend to do better in, in school, and in, in jobs, and health outcomes. We got to about 72% was the high, but since about 2016, it's heading downhill. And mm. part of our social fabric, I think, depends on governments focusing uh, getting that homeownership rate back up is just good for Canada.
1: Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds. It's better that you're talking than me. <laughs>
2: Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Tom Story Show, your weekly real estate roundup podcast. I appreciate you being back here on Sunday or whatever of the day of the week you are listening this on. If you're watching us on YouTube, we wanna say thank you. Make sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel. The channel continues to grow. And uh, our next goal is to get to 3000 subscribers. If you're listening on the audio platform, I just want to say thank you. Um, Also, we had a jam packed week. um, So if you missed the episode that came out mid week. We had uh, an episode come out on Tuesday, uh, July the 4th with the BC Housing Minister Ravi Callan. So if you missed that one, because it was a different time, make sure to go back and listen to that episode as well. We've been making our guest wait too long. So I'd like to formally introduce welcoming back for the second time. Tim Hudak has joined the show. Tim is the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. He was a Canadian politician and the leader of the Ontario Progressive uh, party the pc party from 2009 to 2014 and you can catch him in the new flash movie wait hold on i'm being told something that's actually michael keaton but i haven't officially seen tim michael keaton or batman in the same room at the same time so i'm just gonna leave the rumors out there tim you got you got any comments on that
0: you know, look, it's out now. I actually am Batman. I am the <laughs> uh, the 1988 uh, Batman. I I do keep the bat suit and the batarang and all that kind of stuff uh, yeah. in the trunk of my car. <laughs> so not only helping you know folks like yourself and your audience sell real estate, if you get in trouble with the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguins in your neighborhood, <laughs> your guy, I, I, I used to get that all the time. Especially um, I worked at the border. Uh, I was a customs agent. If you want to oh, talk yeah, about, talk about that too. Yeah, university and one year full time in. Uh, Late eighties, early nineties, and I used to get that like from perfect <laughs> strangers coming across the border. Yeah, where are you going? How long are you yeah. staying? The alcohol back on. Can I ask you something, sir? <laughs> Were you in the Batman movie? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's going to happen again because uh, he came back for this new Flash movie, and uh... I I'm,
0: I'm totally going to line up to see it. I actually do like Michael Keaton a lot, and and Tom, I'm glad that you asked if I looked more like the Batman Michael Keaton than Beetlejuice. So, <laughs> uh, thank you.
2: <laughs> well, you're very welcome. We appreciate you being back here on the show. We've got a jam packed episode. There's a lot going on. And I actually wanted to start with, you know, recent news. Uh, we have a new mayor here in Toronto. Olivia Chow is now the new mayor. I got a few of the, the housing things that she promised. I want to go through them with you and get your perspective. What was have you did you have a relationship with Olivia previously? How well do you know her?
0: Um, yeah, we've met on several occasions. We didn't really work together that closely. Our time in politics was was a bit different. Um, but uh, look, I, I first congratulations yep. to, to Mayor Chow, uh, somebody who was involved in uh, in six different uh, provincial campaigns, as also as leader and uh, leadership campaigns. I got a lot of a lot of time and respect for anybody who puts their name forward. Right, the easiest place to be is the guy on the sideline, hanging on the bar stool or in your lazy boy. Bitching and moaning about yep. things—it it takes leadership to actually stand up and say you want to lead. She's also been around for a long time; like that's a track record of success from being a, a local school board trustee, metro council uh, MP, and now mayor. Yeah, and uh, that kind of longevity tells you that uh, that you got some some smarts and experience. The third thing I'll say is you know, people often forget this too. Before John Tory became mayor, he had actually lost uh, a number of campaigns. He lost running for provincial parliament. He stepped on as leader of the PC party and he lost his first time running for mayor hmm. and, and made that comeback and I think was an excellent mayor. And I'll talk more about it. He has some very good housing policies, which at ARIA we liked a lot. So Olivia Chow is similar redemption story because she ran for mayor uh, back in 2014. I think Yes, it was. she did. Yep, She lost her federal seat as well. So um, Torontonians like the comeback kids.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm happy you said that because there's another thing I wanted to bring up. I saw this uh, kind of this the tweet went kind of viral online. Now, I know Olivia Chow is known for many things, obviously, you know, from her relationship with Jack Layton as well. And someone had said, if you live in Toronto, and this is not my perspective, but I just wanted to bring this up. If you live in Toronto, your new mayor, for a lot of people that were not involved in politics was best known for being married to another politician. Now your premier is best known for being the brother and then your prime minister is best known for being the son. So do uh, we just love a good brand name, something uh, we trust, something that we know? Is there any truth behind that?
0: I, I, I think there actually is right yeah. um, in the States. They had their, their Kennedy uh, dynasty, uh, the Bush family and other yeah. successful. So I think two reasons to answer that question. Seriously, it is a, it is a good observation, uh, Tom, that, well, first of all, when you are either part of the family or you grow up around the kitchen table, you know, hearing from from mom or dad, or husband or wife, you learn a lot about the game. So you instantly right. through osmosis absorb that Caroline Mulrooney, right, This current transportation minister, daughter of Brian Mulrooney. Um, and, and number two, just like in real estate, people respect brands, right? So the Tom Story brand, if down the road, there's Tom Jr, or, or Tammy, right, yeah. they're going to benefit from that, because people have an instant recognition uh, of that uh, brand. So those two factors, that's why it's not uncommon uh, to see people who are part of a real of family in, in real estate or in politics or, you know, the kids of tend to do well in that business because they've got instant brand recognition. Yeah,
2: that's a really good point. It's almost very similar in real estate. There's so many people I know that got into real estate because their parents were in real estate. Um, yeah, point,
0: like, look, how hard you work for your brand, right? And that's a big investment. Yeah. And the kids love mom or dad. They want to carry that on. And just naturally, when when you hear and you see mum or Dad in action, you learn a lot from the time that you're starting to walk into the business world, and you're just going to have a lot of that knowledge right out of the gate that others won't.
2: So I know your kids are a bit younger still, but are, are they going into politics or real estate then? What's the what's the path?
0: Maitland loves real estate. She, yeah? She's nine. And what? I can see she's, she's got, she's a very outgoing personality, um, talks housing <laughs> a lot. T V on and all that kind of stuff. So so maybe she would. And my eldest, Miller, is one who's really interested in in politics and in, in public life and uh, in history. Um, by the way, my, my wife, Debbie Hutton, uh, we got to know each other through politics. She was okay. a top advisor to Premier Harris and Premier Eves and also Mayor Tory. So Debbie was backing Anna Bylow as a big part of her campaign. So she took both the girls there on election night. Huh. Uh, oh, really? And what a great experience. So maybe one of each. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, they'll just go a totally opposite direction. And, and Maitland tells me she's going to be a world famous YouTuber.
2: So oh, well, we've tried that; it hasn't worked out so far. But we'll <laughs> we'll keep trying. Um, I I want to spend a, f- a few more, you know, a bit few more minutes on Olivia Chow's platform for housing, um, because I think the race at the end was actually maybe closer than a lot of people thought it would have been at the very beginning. They thought she kind of had the landslide. It, it was very tight at the end. Um, affordable housing is obviously a, a word that gets thrown around a lot, and we've heard this for for a long time. And she she has a plan in place where the current city budget was ten million dollars a year, and essentially nonprofits could buy up buildings and and you know lease them out to people at more affordable rates that needed it. She wants to get that to hundred million dollars, so ten xing the budget. And I just wanted to go over a few of the of the things that she ran on. So the first one I think a lot of people were opposed to was higher taxes, higher property taxes, right? um tori did not raise the taxes for a long time and i think people like that in toronto there was that there's then the luxury tax on the properties over three million dollars and then there's increasing the vacant home tax from its current one percent of assessed value to three percent do you now i think she's got a very very difficult job whoever took that job housing is like i want to be optimistic about it but it's like i wonder is it realistic to get all that money she needs for what she wants to do no, okay.
0: <laughs> Those are bad ideas. I um I I, I didn't support uh, her for uh, for a uh, uh, mayor. And um, I was very concerned um, about the housing policies particularly. Look, um, you, you can't tax your way to to affordability. That, that's the bottom line. We have seen so many politicians raise taxes on housing. And Tom, has that brought prices down? No, it's actually made no. them more expensive. If your goal is the mayor says or other candidates to try to get more people to be able to afford a home place to call their own that they could buy you know why you'd want to increase uh, property taxes is beyond me i get the politics tax the rich you know sure. hit them with the three million dollar we're going to nail those rich people but look if if one thing that's improving with land transfer tax is it, it means people stay in their homes look at uh, we were at young and lawrence in in, in toronto and and um, we wanted to move and the girls came along to, to a bigger place And Tom, five out of six of our neighbors who are in a similar spot with young kids said, I don't want to pay the land transfer tax, 80, 90K to to move a few blocks away to get the extra. I'm going to renovate. So they stay in that in that family home. That means a a starter home does not become available. So if she does decide to tax at that upper, middle and and, and higher income area, people aren't going to move. People aren't going to move up. Mm -hmm. And as a result, it's going to go all the way down through the system and limit access to homeownership in the first place. Uh, Look, if it's a positive suggestion here, uh, Mayor Tory was on the right path when he's looking to increase housing supply by having, for example, an ability to put more homes on an existing property. Great idea. Carry on with that. Other municipalities are looking at lowering development charges Mm -hmm. to allow for more affordable units to be built. In New York City, Mayor Bloomberg used government land. The biggest landlord, by the way, in, in Ontario is government. Huh. So using government land to work with the private sector to build homes, honest to God, the notion of governments building the homes, I think it's a recipe for disaster. I think They'd be crappy. I think it'd take forever to get built. And they'll have some crazy system on who gets access that is ripe for corruption. Using government land, agree, great idea, but work with the private sector to build homes, and then you can guarantee those homes, in the contracts of developers will be accessible to first time buyers.
2: The one thing that I was thinking, because I just went through this, I sold my property end of last year and and bought a new property and... Tim, I paid $60,000 in land transfer tax to get yeah. into this house. Um, and I know it's very easy because the, the home sales over $3 million, I believe, represent 2% of all the sales typically in a year. And, and, and I get it. Like good politics, right? It's like, hey, this isn't going to impact you anyways. 90% of the voters aren't going to be impacted. But it's still increasing land transfer tax instead of hom- having conversations saying, hey, land transfer tax is stopping inventory from being unlocked. Like, yeah. I'm not going to move from here for a long time because it's going to cost me so much money, let alone porting mortgages and all that kind of stuff. And like, it's just very, very expensive. Steve, I see you grinning over there. I uh, I feel like you're on the same page here.
1: I have an opinion about transfer taxes for sure. And that's just the fact that the way they're brought in, ours here are based on like, it's this much for this value. And then it starts increasing the more you go to value. And like, for instance, I think Bill Ver. Bill Vanderzam brought in the first one and they were like oh no 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 don't worry for all you commoners it's only going to be 1% up to $200,000 because no houses were over $200,000 and then it's 2% for those rich people that own properties over $200,000 and now that's gone to i think it's 3% over 2 million 5% over 3 million but so that's easy to go okay well we're just going to loop in those rich people now. But guess whose property is going to be worth over $2 million very shortly? Everybody's. So it's it should be, I think they should do this with the first-time homebuyer exemption as well. It should be tied to the value. Like there needs to be some sort of like home price metric. So if prices go down, maybe that shifts. But if prices go up, then the bottom rung also goes up right? It shouldn't just be, well, now everybody pays 5% because that is the end goal. The end goal is to get those properties probably over, well, not end goal, but it's going to be the way it happens. Eventually, they're all going to be over $3 million for a detached single family. And then everybody's going to be paying 5%. And it's just, it's it's very um, predatory in my mind, right? Because you can get the tax in now because it's not going to hurt most people now, but it will hurt everyone in the future.
0: Yeah, let me piggyback on Steve's answer there. He's right on. It's a, I call it the, the sheep and wolf's clothing chapter of of my book. Politicians will often say, it's only going to be the rich. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But two things happen. They don't change it for inflation. So more and more people get into that category. And secondly, they do the tax and say, mm, this is not nearly as much money as I want to spend. So the rich gets redefined to be middle class people. Right? That's what tends to happen. So I'm very wary of this policy because it's going to impact a lot of your uh, podcast followers.
2: Well, I mean, if you look at most of our clients that got in with that first condo seven, eight years ago, I'm now selling that condo. They're moving up to the semi-detached property, right? And and I get now it's like, okay, every move. And even though we say right now, because she had the same policy, by the way, when she was running in 2014, but it was $2 million. The wealth tax yeah. was $2 million, Now it's $3 million. So So you can see where this is going. But what it's doing is it's stopping from unlocking the inventory. There, These people are moving up. To the next house, but the house they had that would have been the jump up house from the the condo buyer. You get know what I'm saying? Like, is is the condo seller is now not becoming available? And I I love the stats. Like Tim, I look at the TREB stats every month when they come out. Like I'm I'm in there. I'm like trying to figure things out with it. Yeah. And you look at where the sales are actually happening. At least uh four one six area code of Toronto is most freehold properties are happening between a million $1.5 million. And most condos are happening between 500 and $700,000. So those seem to be at least the, the areas that we truly need more inventory. We don't need more $3 million houses, we, but we need the step before and then the step before that. But yeah. I could probably rant about that for a long time.
0: But you're right. And we need to keep ranting because this is actually, I think a very um, uh, backwards looking policy that the mayor had on housing um she didn't win on this housing policy i think she won because of name recognition she came across as charming talked a lot about people looked kind of grandmotherly like she's gonna look out for us you yeah. a good campaign i admire that but this housing policy is is dated and it actually will be dangerous in housing supply and we'll look forward to working with treb to put some more positive ideas on the table and hopefully stay the course of some of the things that mayor tory was working on that will actually pay off for people trying to get in the market.
2: Now, as the CEO of OREA, what path do you take to make sure that these policies get in front of Olivia and everyone in the mayor's office now? Because before, I assume it was a bit of an easier conversation because of the relationship built. Now, like, how does that path work? Is it, it goes through TREB or it goes through you guys? How does it happen?
0: Yeah, you basically a tag team is, is the way to do it. So we work with the 34 member boards across the province and, and TREB, obviously, by far the largest one. They'll be sort of the, the lead on that, and we'll be there to support in any way possible in their discussions with the mayor and uh, with individual councillors. Where we come into play is, is really the air war, Tom. So think of that as the, the ground troops going in and having the meetings, little skirmishes in the boardrooms. Uh, we do the air war. We talk about how these policies can actually get homes for people, uh, how we can uh, utilize government land, how we can convert excess commercial property to residential. That's a big role that we play. And that helps put these ideas on the table and also get, you know, average people who want to get a place of their own, want to move from the condo to freehold or the moms and dads that that love their sons and daughters dearly and they're moving out of the basement. Yes. We help motivate them because the politicians they're going to listen to the voters first and foremost. That's the role we play.
2: So recently we had Ravi Callan on the podcast. Uh, He's the current housing minister of BC. And it was, Steve, you brought up a very interesting point that was when me and Steve think about affordable housing, for the most part, we're thinking about how can people get into ownership where a lot of the government levels see affordable housing. Steve, you wanna just say say it because it came from you anyways?
1: Yeah, the government's definition of affordable housing when they're talking about it is the 30% of the population that are renters. And ours is thinking about first time buyers and that sort of thing. So we're not even often having the same conversation when we use that term. We almost need to define them differently. This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the Story Team at Royal Page Signature, Royal Page Signature in Toronto, Ontario. That's Tom right there. If you are looking to buy or sell any real estate in downtown Toronto, uh, unfortunately, my friend Tom here is probably one of your best options. I know he's sure young and good looking or whatever, but... Yeah, he is one of the best real estate agents in Toronto. So if you're looking specifically downtown, because that's where these young hipster type kids like to buy and sell their condos. This is the guy that you should probably be in touch with. But Tom, mm. you also do sell other types of properties, correct? Like if I had, I don't know, a single family home in the city of Toronto, would you take my listing? yeah you know it's that's probably about anything. all right all right i don't need you to keep no 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 this is my commercial read uh if i had a semi-detached would that work we certainly do that yes all right and if i wanted to buy a property you would help me with that certainly all right and then if that was the case and i wanted to reach out to you how would i do it what you would do steven is you would go into the first link in the description and there's
2: going to be a link to book a call with me and my team and you can click it and you can book a call with us at a time
1: that works for you. Now, I don't want to ignore the other half of our audience, which is real estate agents. So in the event that you are a real estate agent outside of Toronto, or maybe you are a realtor in toronto and you just don't want the work tom would also love your referrals so you can reach out to tom right now by using the link in the description below and booking a call with him at a time that works best for you now tom there's one more thing we need to say before this is over what's that this communication is not intended to cause or induce breach of any agency. No, I screwed that up. Oh, I was so close. This communication is not intended to cause or induce breach of any. You said induced breach. (laughs) Induced. This communication is not intended to cause or induce breach. There we go. Of any existing agency agreement. And now back to the show.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just I thought that was interesting. Tim, do you think that's that's fair to say like we just have
0: different perspectives on this? Totally. I know. I think Steve nailed it. Um, Mayor Chow, similarly, a lot of hers was focused on on renters. And, and I get it, right? You There's a lot of renters who are voters, and so you speak to their issues. But tell me if I'm wrong, Steve and Tommy. Most renters that I talk to, including when I was in that part of, of my lifetime, they want to own homes. That has not changed. Mm-hmm. Our survey you can it yep. at rea.com So just as much, if not more than ever, renters want to move up the ladder. So you need to focus on the spectrum across the board, and I'll say it over and over again, it's not more taxes, it's not more regulation, it's not government building its own housing, it is tearing down outdated red tape, and barriers to getting more homes built, and that means both rentals and ownership.
1: Yeah. The I have a thought on uh, just the transfer taxes here, and maybe we need to politicize this the same way some uh, government bodies have been doing it where you name it, right? Uh, The offer process was never a problem until we named it blind bidding. Now it's a problem, right? So I am now going to refer to, I just had this idea. It's so genius. I love it when I have these ideas.
2: It's great when people, before they talk, uh, say that what they've just thought of is genius. uh, Yeah, it's just
1: great. I'm so happy with this idea that's coming your way. You ready, guys, for this? I'm going to start referring to the transfer tax as the third commission. Because we get eaten up for right. commissions, right? Buyer's right. agent gets a commission. Seller's agent gets a commission. The transfer tax is the government's commission on your sale. And in my province, it's bigger than our commissions. It may be about the same. I don't know what your guys transfer tax is where you are. I guess it depends if you're in the city of Toronto or not. Yeah. But here here in BC, it's a straight uh, basically 2% minus $2,000. So when you do when you crunch the numbers, the highest commission earned in a real estate transaction is by the government. Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> really interesting. That's a it's an excellent uh, point to, uh, to bring across. And even even if you threw a land transfer tax, for sure, but that's just one of the commissions that the government gets, right? They've got the development charges along the way, every mm-hmm. department got their hand out for a fee for this report or that report or what have you. I tell you, Steve, that in, in some parts of Ontario, you've got to pay $125,000 um, in fees, permitting costs before you put the first spade in the ground. And yeah. who else pays that, right? It's the first time home buyer. So we we broke that
1: down a little bit. I brought that up with the housing minister last week. Yep. And um, normally, because it's a housing minister's first time and we had him for a very small period of time i didn't want to didn't want to piss him off because i hope he comes back because i think we need these good discussions right but the the view there is well we need that money because here in and and i should have pushed back on that probably more i should have said okay well you know what's it for and he kind of had a bit of an answer for that but really i think it was there was a report that came out in Vancouver. A, I think it was a seven hundred and fifty or eight hundred thousand dollar unit. A hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars of that went to the city or province or something in development fees.
0: That was before the transfer tax. There you go, excellent like point. A, like look, a quarter. I, yeah, and it's going up too, right? It's getting higher. Um, look, I spent so twenty one years in in uh, in government. I, I I get that. There's always going to be for every dollar you have. There's there's five dollars of ideas on how to spend that. But really the focus should be not how do we squeeze more money out of home buyers, it should be how do we get more homes built. And a strength of Canada from, from confederation through the wars, um, through the 1970s and 80s was we had an upward curve when it comes to home ownership. And as you know, that, that builds stronger communities. When you own a place, you, you, you give back, you're more likely to volunteer, you care about your neighbors, you, your kids tend to do better in, in school and in, in jobs and health outcomes. It's been a fundamental policy to try to increase that. We got about 72% was the high. But since about 2016, it's heading downhill. And Mm -hmm. part of our social fabric, I think, depends on governments focusing on getting that homeownership rate back up. It's just good for Canada. I
2: also think uh, we'll move on here from the new mayor after this last question, because I'm just curious. Um, Obviously, Doug Ford was very vocal, uh, quote says if this would be an um unmitigated disaster, things like that, if Chow won, they're going to have to work together if we're going to make this work. Um, how does that work? How does the premier to the mayor, how does how do they come together and find common ground here?
0: Yeah, um, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes um, unintentionally so, or personality class, just like in life or any kind of deal, uh, and then sometimes intentionally so because you want to make the other look bad and to score points. I hope for the positive. Um, they're both political veterans. They would yep. have known each other for for many years now, so I hope for the better. Um, i like to be an optimist about these things, and here's here's why. Believe it or not, you may, you may know this, uh, Tom and Steve, that uh, John Tory and Doug Ford actually did not like each other. It was quite mm-hmm. visceral. It goes back to the time where the mayor ran against um, his brother Rob, and there was a real rivalry there. Both in you know my world, you know they're both conservatives, but come from different tribes in conservatism. It's so very different. The reality was that they found out pretty quickly they had to put that behind them because they had two common causes: one, getting more homes built and addressing housing affordability. and second was building transportation in the city of Toronto and the GTA. So because they had their fates were linked to those successes, they found a way to get along. And they're both good at that and they know it. So they actually became allies from almost enemies. So I remain optimistic that that Mayor Chow has to achieve the same outcome. So I and I, I know Doug Ford known him for a long time. He likes to work with people, he's very practical and pragmatic. So I'll keep my fingers crossed. They gotta work together, otherwise we're gonna have more gridlock and fewer homes. To be able to have those like ideas
1: and to be able to have the open conversation, I think is just the biggest thing right there's so much like we've got such a disaster i think we touched on it last time tom just with our mayor here in surrey right now fighting with uh the provincial government and like openly fighting like putting out social media posts that are embarrassing fighting and it's just like this is good for no one you need to put your ego aside and you need to be able to have a conversation if you have a good idea you need to be able to get that idea out there and then I mean, ideally, the people get to vote on which way they want it to go, right? But just that it has to be an open line of communication, and that's what we want to try and do with this: is is get everyone's perspective, right? We would love we would love to have the ability to have everybody on here that has a different side of the opinion, and just find out um, that that's what's going to open up the truth, right? We're going to be able to then be able to make better decisions for ourselves moving moving yeah. forward. And I
0: hope I hope right. government can do that. I, um, I just get more behind the scenes stuff. I know we're talking as much politics as real estate right now, but just sort of one last story on this, there there will be squabbles They're inevitable. You want to you know, push for your side and then you hope to find a deal. Just again, like you're doing a negotiation among yeah. clients. Um, Mel Lastman, who was very charismatic, outspoken mayor, somebody um, could be accused of talking before thinking through it. It was Mel. And I would see all the time Mel Lassman fighting with Premier Mike Harris uh, at the time, but what also happened behind the scenes was, um, among their leading staff, they, they kept really close lines of, of communication. They kept that open and no hurt feelings. So for the cameras, you could do a bit of the theater, mm. but they had that gel, and at the end of the day, they got a lot of stuff done together, like building the Shepherd Subway waterfront development. So that's an important aspect behind the scenes, is to make sure your right hands are actually working together, even if the theater erupts from time to time.
2: So, Tim, I wanted to ask you about this building of new inventory that that needs to happen Um, I'm actually gonna just gonna read you a tweet from Doug Ford Ontario was growing in the last 12 months our population grew by 500,000 people each and every person needs a place to call home that's why we're building 1.5 million homes let's get building Ontario now that's great how do we get building what's now the next steps to actually make this happen
0: I really wanna commend uh, Premier Ford and their housing minister, Steve Clark, who also has municipal affairs. They have truly been phenomenal of getting stuff done when it comes to legislation and clearing out old red tape and regulations. In all of my time following politics, I think anything has come close to their success. And while we're not there yet, they did actually have the most housing starts and most um, purpose-built rental in 30 years 2021 i believe was the record a lot best in 30 years and 22 was number two so at least we're heading in the right direction i get a lot of detail about this but here's here's the nutshell top basically they put together a really good toolkit to you know tear down some of the regulations accelerate housing get development charges that we talked about uh, down um, to use things like ministerial zoning orders to move projects forward and cut through the, the, the merry-go-round that takes forever of approvals. But the municipalities have to use them. So they got to take that toolbox off the shelf. And there's really two ways you can do that. Number one, you can use a carrot approach and you can say, okay, Toronto, Mississauga, Oakville, you've got this target. It's fair and reasonable. Here's how we got the target. You get there, your project that you want for transit or for a new arena or sewers or whatever, that gets the top of the list, it gets funded. Mm. You say no, and you bow down to the NIMBY forces, you don't want new people coming into the community, well, you're not gonna get funding for that other project. So there's a carrot and stick approach, but you gotta hold municipalities, account- municipalities accountable to actually use those tools they've been handed over in that toolbox.
2: Cause I think as a homeowner myself, I, we've been kind of asking for this for years and we talk about the missing middle housing and what essentially that is to me is like, okay, we have homes, but we couldn't do anything because of the single family zoning. Now you can make a duplex, you can make it a triplex, you can make it a fourplex, you can build a laneway house. Um, But I guess my, my final kind of concern on this is like, that's all great. I love all that but it's still expensive to build, right? So I'm not saying the government would do it any better than the homeowners, but it's now up to the homeowners to say, all right, let's get going here. And, and how fast that's going to happen, I, I just
0: don't know. Yeah, it's, it's true. And making sure that the, the resources are there to approve projects and not slow them down. Yep. You know, the fact that we don't have electronic and an approval process is consistent across provinces. is shocking in 2023. Some many these are still paper-based, believe it or not. And so in, and then I think intervene too much on the small stuff and slow things down. And I can come back to an example of that. But three years ago, we never had this ability on laneway houses, right? Last year, we didn't have the ability to have the uh, multiplexes on properties that I as a property owner could knock down my home and build a four story monster home, but I couldn't put it into a duplex or townhomes mm-hmm. at first time buyers. So. There has been revolutionary change. We feel that we've been a big part of that by putting the ideas on the table and pushing the politicians. But you're right, Tom, now you got to actually seize that and get the shovels in the ground. But the tools, they're finally there.
2: I I always think it's kind of funny. I see people complaining online about, you know, condo floor plans that are 400 square feet or a laneway house that's renting out for $2,700 a month, and they're just complaining. It's like, but you weren't the one that was ever going to live there. But somebody's going to it's still bringing housing. It's like, even though we bring it, we still find ways to just be like, well, but it's not exactly the way I wanted it. And nobody's ever happy. I don't know. I feel like maybe Twitter is just a bunch of people that are drunk and angry. And and that's just what it is. But this is a
0: revelation.
2: No, it's not. (laughs) I know
1: this is across this is across all parties now. It seems like it seems like everybody's in consensus. So there should be no hold up now right, because you guys are conservative out there provincially, right? We are NDP currently. They're almost identical. It's here is the city's targets. The cities need to meet those targets or they will be penalized in one way or another. And the biggest thing that seems to be out there is right now is if it does fit the community plan, of which is approved, why do we need to have this project then go to first, second, and third reading? It should just be, yes, it fits the plan. Rubber stamp at City Hall. We shouldn't have to wait for three 7 p.m. meetings for the mayor to talk about what's going to happen with the consolidation of these two lots like what a waste of time and it seems that now finally people are starting to understand that yeah you know what you may not like the look of that building or where the entrance for that building goes to the underground parking but guess what this is where you live and we gotta we gotta fix this issue or i guess the other side of it is how stop so many people from from coming in, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's, it's starting to probably get to a spot where it's maybe a little reckless. Like it's almost too many. Um, like what was our pre-COVID, I want to say we were 260 to 280,000 people a year. And this last year we were 465 just PRs, not to mention the other 600,000 people that came in. So that's probably getting a little bit irresponsible. Do you have any... Has Oria taken that into account, Tim, with like the amount of people? Is there any lobbying to like get that slowed or is that off the table?
0: So so we have. And I hear what you're saying, Steve, because this past year we had the, the fastest growing country, um, you know, almost in the world. I think like Burkina Faso and another country in Africa. Yeah. Uh, where there's a lot of kids being born was was above us. We do need to increase immigration. And I think we should be thoughtful in terms of the numbers that we hit because we leading, you know, among OECD countries. Great. Leading among the world that no, is on the aggressive side. But here's some suggestions that we've made. And the, the reason we need more immigration is because, well, let's say all the podcasters get at it because we're not having enough kids. So you're to yeah. blame, right? You know, yeah. blame, more kids. But we need to bring new talent uh, into our province, the next generation of entrepreneurs, job creators, workers, because we'll have well, we need, you need to increase the size of the economy, plus you need to have more people to actually pay for the social services and health than an aging population depends upon. So that, that's why, from a policy sense, it, it, it is the right approach. Here's a twist. We should also, though, give a greater reward in our point system to skilled labor. You know, right now, if you're, you're like me, you got a university background or whatever, you come in, you get a lot of points, right? You speak English or French, point, point, point. But if you if you're a mason, you're an electrician, you're a plumber, you're a builder, you don't get those points. So let's shift our immigration policy to reward skilled trades a lot more and they can help build the homes and hospitals and new schools that we're going to need.
2: Interesting. Um, uh,
0: Let me comment on that, Tom, real quick. So
1: I just uh, covered the numbers on this. So one hundred and fifty thousand people came to B.C. last year. Okay. 51,000 new homes were built, you're thinking, okay, that's not terrible, but the average uh, new household size is one person. Really? Yeah, so that's not good. Um, But the most interesting stat of that is the population is actually only 147,000 people greater. So that means if it wasn't for those 150,000 people coming, Just the natural birth and death rate means we were minus 3,000 people less.
2: Steve, is it also people like moving up to another province?
1: Yeah. So those were the total uh, number. Those were the total immigration numbers. Um, I would have to go back and, and look, but it was it was if it was not for immigration, or I believe it was people also moving to the province and out of the province, if it was just based on, on birth and death rate, we would have been minus 3000 people last, last year. Right. Yeah. So yes, Tom, let's get going on more kids. What do you say? <laughs> not, not you and me, by the way, because I don't think that can <laughs> work. Really but,
0: uh... not. See, that's, that's <laughs> why you know, Tom, Tom seems to be getting such good ratings. Maybe it will be an aphrodisiac that, uh, you know, that our kids <laughs> are <laughs> All
2: right, I'm going to switch topics here just slightly, (laughs) Tim. Um, because i'm getting red all right um i saw a opinion piece in the financial post and it was called the case for ending bank of canada's interest rate hikes now so the inflation numbers that came out for may were 3.4 percent which was very encouraging because they were 4.4 percent the month before it's like okay a full point drop but then it was like okay everybody cool down uh, it was mostly just because of gasoline and if it wasn't because of gasoline it would have been back at 4.4 percent now this article is saying hey Inflation would actually be at 2.5% if you took out the increase of housing costs, which was up 29.9% year over year, which is mostly because they're increasing rates. It's like this counterproductive thing. Yep. Like, Does that not kind of make sense? Like, This guy was very passionate about it, and he actually said it's like someone with high blood sugar saying, like, have a sugar cube to fix your problem. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, Is there a case for just let's hang tight here? Like inflation is going in a decent direction. We don't need to increase in July, even though I think they will. This episode of the Tom Story Show is sponsored by Carish Real Properties. Here's the deal. If you're moving to Fraser Valley. Oh, my God. Here's the deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's see if you can at least get this right, Tom, because you've screwed it up so many times before. Fraser. Say it with me. Fraser. 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 Valley. Fraser. Okay. Pick it up from there. Fraser Valley. Fraser Valley.
2: Fraser, no, no, Fraser,
1: Fraser Valley, Rick just Razor. say
2: Surrey. Surrey. If you're moving to Surrey, there's one person that you need to call, and it just so happens to be my podcast co-host. Now, I am. I make lots of jokes, you know, at Steve's expense during the podcast. But, but the reality is, if I was moving to Surrey or the surrounding areas, I would call him because they're really damn good at what they do. They understand the market. And I know whether you're buying tomorrow or you're going to buy in two years, they will be with you until the end of the transaction. They know what they're talking about. They have experience. Even though Steve looks old, he's not actually that old. So he's still kind of hip, right? He's, he still kind of knows what's going on. But I have personally referred my clients when they're moving out there to Steve and his team, and they've always done an amazing job and rolled out the red carpet for them. Now, Steve, I know it's weird that you're even here as I'm doing this ad read, but if someone were to be moving to your area, how could they connect with you?
1: uh super simple you can go into the show notes uh book a call with me right now using the link in the description of this show uh pick a time that works best for you set up a call either a buyer consultation a seller consultation or tom Story's line if you just want to have a chat about real estate you can do that too using the link in the description below Yeah. And I know uh, from personal experience
2: with my clients, you know, connecting with Steve is that it's it's a no pressure situation. You're just going to be educated. And when you're ready to make that decision, they will be there to guide you through it. Also, if you are a real estate agent that listens to our show and you have clients moving out to the West Coast of Canada, connect with Steve first and see if they can be of assistance. You can go into the first link in the description and book
1: that call with Steve directly as well. Thank you. And now back to the show. Wait, Tom, you forgot one thing. This communication is not intended to cause or induce breach of any agency agreement. Existing agency agreement? I think I got it right.
0: Yeah, I think there's a compelling case to be made. And Tommy outlined some of those uh, important reasons why to, to hold the line. Certainly, the last increase was largely a surprise. That has had an impact. You've probably talked about it already yep. uh, in the marketplace in, in real estate. We seem to be making good progress. I mean, it's, we've not knocked it out yet, but I think we've won the last few rounds when it comes to controlling inflation. So we certainly do hope that they don't try to overcompensate and hold the line, you know, for at least another quarter or two and see where we are. I actually uh, think our, our greatest risk is on the American side. Canadians are more sensitive to interest rate increases than the Americans are. And uh, as a result, you see a lot of behavior change in Canada. The Americans have not tamed inflation anywhere near the level that Canada has to date. And what can happen is if they don't control inflation, in the states and they keep increasing their interest rates, it puts a lot of pressure on our dollar, our dollar goes down, we can afford less imports increase in cost. And typically, our response then is to raise our interest rates as well. So I I do think one thing people don't talk about enough is the risk that the American inflation contagion may cause further interest rate hikes here in Canada. What would be worse, us not fighting
2: the Fed? and then our dollar drops or us keeping up with them and everyone's housing situation becomes more expensive? Like, I guess there's no real good answer to that.
0: It's a it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a rock and hard place type thing, right? When you try to find some kind of, of balance. So look, I, I remain optimistic about the housing side. The most basic reason is because we've still got a lot of demand, right? Our annual surveys by area show people still want to get into housing. Tom, you're seeing that from your clients here in the province yeah. of Ontario particularly. And we have such limited supply because of underbuilding for over two decades. So that's, that's why I feel very positive about housing as a long-term investment for sure, but also in the short-medium term. Um, my uh, my my worry about the the inflationary side uh, is is probably more so the American influence than than policy uh, here. They'll they'll make the calls. There's lots of numbers to look at as you put it into that cauldron and stir it around. But I think our policy approach so far has been largely successful.
2: Yeah. That's fair. Um, what
1: is on Oria's, uh, uh, I guess, radar right now? Like, what are the things that we should be focusing on, or what are you guys currently trying to bring awareness to?
0: Yeah, great question, uh, Steve. So we we talked earlier about. I, I think there is a risk with with Mayor Chow and her approach, which is dated, and I do hope that some of the policies that Mayor Tory brought forward to allow you know, greater intensification around uh, transit stations, for example, along major uh, roads and transit routes. Very good. Allowing building up to four units on, on properties uh, within the city, that's gonna open up a lot more rentals and um, starter homes for people, you know, don't go backwards uh, on, on that respect. So we hope to push for a stay of the course rather than a reversal. And some new ideas on the table, like using government property, with private developers and converting commercial to residential. So mm. because Toronto is such a major part of the Ontario home um, economy, the loss of, of direction that Toronto is going would be very detrimental. The number two thing I put on that list is to make sure the politicians keep their foot, particularly for Premier Ford, on the pedal when it comes to increasing housing supply. It could be very tempting to say, OK, interest rates have gone up, the market slowed down. Is no longer a crisis and move on to something else, boy, that'd be a huge mistake. You mm-hmm. got to going down the path on building. And and third of my list, um, Steve, would be stopping politicians from doing stupid things. <laughs> and trust, good, I've been, good I've been, luck with that. 21 <laughs> yeah, years myself, right? And maybe I made my share of, of bad decisions for sure. Um, but uh, look, when you look at shiny baubles like deciding to do a vacant home tax, for example, the cooling off period, All stuff that might sound good on the podium, but can do tremendous damage to the housing market. So making sure they don't distract it from housing supply and grab onto shiny baubles, that's a big part of my job.
2: Tim, you gave me the perfect segue because my next question was specifically about why the cooling off period for resale properties is a bad idea in Ontario. You had an open letter, I believe is in the Toronto Star, um, Steve is super. It wouldn't be an episode of the Tom Story Show if Steve didn't complain about this because they already have it in B.C. So, Tim, can you give me your perspective of why we're talking about resale homes, why there shouldn't be a cooling off period? And then Steve will jump in with his experience so far
0: on the other side of things. The um, look, we have a cooling off period when it comes to um, condos, for example, uh, and the government is moving to do so pre-con condos and the government's going to do so when you're buying a home from a builder. And the reason that's there is because there's an imbalance between the builder and their army of lawyers and, and marketing folks, and it can be a high pressure sales environment, and they have many of the same units. And so to give consumers a chance to check with their realtor and they should have a realtor with them at the table, otherwise they'll be really risking a bad deal to think about that. That's sensible policy because of that power imbalance. But if you put it on resale homes, that balance shifts. So let me give you an example. You can have a very well moneyed developer who goes around and places offers on a bunch of homes at once, jacks up the prices so ordinary people can't afford it. And then during that cooling off period, basically puts a gun to the head of the widow trying to sell her home and says, hey, if you don't come down in your price, I'm going to walk away. I'll pay that rescission fine. That's that's pocket change that screws her over. It screws over those that didn't get that house. And then she'll have to relist it down the road, go through all that, and it may be looked at as a stigmatized property. If you want to give developers more advantage in the marketplace, then bring a cooling off period. Mm. But if you want to actually allow ordinary people to buy a home and my mom to sell our home for dignity and retirement, do not bring in a cooling off period in, on resale homes. And so far, I'm pleased to say uh, that the minister and the premier have listened.
2: So they didn't listen they well, here <laughs> in BC. <laughs> So Steve, you've now been dealing with this for six months. What's your experience been with, uh, with this new cool off and yours is three days, correct?
1: a yeah, three business days,
2: business days. Okay. Yeah.
1: So they, which gets very murky around things like what we just had the July long weekend, things like that. Right. Cause is the day off technically on a Saturday? Is it the day off? Isn't it the day off? These are very murky things. It's real pain. Um, Brendan Ogmentson did a report uh, at the BCREA that said uh, bringing in the cooling off period will likely increase home prices by 2 to 2.5%, just because you're going to have more bids and that sort of thing, right? So increasing home prices, great. But the BCFSA just a couple of days ago released their report on the whole thing. So this is technically on blind bidding. It's on all offers that happened in the province. And the numbers that are coming out are... Interesting. So this is a, I'm just looking at the report here. So this is a total of 3,266 transactions that happened over the reporting period, which was 62% of the total transactions in the province. So it's a very good sample size. There were 45, 45 rescissions. Total. Total.
2: Out of 3,000.
1: Out of of, uh, over 3,200 actual sales. The majority of those 20 were in the Vancouver board area. And then when you actually look at it proportional, because Vancouver board, just like where you guys are, is almost entire, like most of the transactions in the province are Vancouver board. When you look at it proportional outside of the big market areas, their chance of rescission is way higher. Interesting. Right? So your smaller towns are, are by percentage wise, having way more rescissions not that many. I mean, the I think the the association of the interior realtors, uh, it was like five, and that's like half the province. right? So but they're uh, just less transactions. So the other thing that they found is that's most often happening, fifty percent of the time is on some sort of detached property. So condos, townhouses, those sort of things, less than fifty percent of the time, that's what's going on. There's just so many. Uh, Tim, I, I encourage you to look. This report just came out. I think it's on yeah. the BCFSA's media side. It Thank was you. really interesting because it even breaks down things like how many offers that they received uh, throughout the province had multiple offers, what percentage of asking price they sold for. Uh, interesting stat 80% of the time in multiple offer situations, the seller took the highest price. That means 20% of the time they left money on the table for something else. Closing date, conditions, right? Condition. 13% of offers, I thought this would have been higher. Only 13% of offers uh, were unconditional. But the one that I thought was the most interesting, when the cooling off period uh, was enacted by the buyer, so they walked away from the transaction and paid the fee, Almost all of those, overwhelming majority of those, were on the last day of rescission. So 36 hours or whatever, what's five, 60 hours later, that's when they pulled the plug. So what are they really doing? It's a hot property. They use that period as their condition period. And now the buyer is paying for the right to have those conditions in basically because that's what it is and then they have to pay the fee right so if i don't get my financing i pay the small fee and if i don't get my financing maybe now i'm in an even worse situation because now i have to pay a fee to get out of the transaction now i could rant about this forever and ever and ever but my main thought here is similar to what you had mentioned it tips uh the balance to an unfair position. And I don't think because the housing market has been so crazy, in my opinion, I don't think we should then favor one side of the transaction over the other because those people buying properties are about to become homeowners and they will then be disadvantaged in the future. No part of our society should be looking at disadvantaging one part of our society over the other. It should not be the case. So if you're gonna do this, here's my idea seller also gets to walk away for three days because I've had a lot more sellers be, be worried about, oh, maybe I could have got more money. So if sure. the seller can entertain offers for three more days after they accept an offer, maybe they'll get a higher one that would even it out. Wouldn't it? Yeah.
0: Or leave well enough alone. <laughs> that would, a would be a better with option their, with their professional, the realtor on conditions, yes. Right. And focus on supply. Yet I appreciate that. Thank you for letting me know about that, uh, Steve. On that, on that data. Um, look, that that just um, that just shows that all those resources, and the waste of time of buyers and sellers, right? Because you chased this shiny bobble, and you took your eye off the main issue, which is getting more homes built.
2: True. Mm-hmm. Yeah um there's two other kind of big things i think we we should chat about on this episode um the first one is the the blind bidding the the open bidding and if that would actually change anything me and steve have been very vocal about this and i've got i got 10 years of my own data of listing properties a good amount of properties and seeing and i would say yeah maybe 10 percent of the time the highest offer there is a significant gap between offer number two, but 90% of the time there there's two or three really close at the top. And I've actually literally had one of our clients say to me before when they lost it on a property, like, Oh, if I had just known, that's what it sold for, I would have paid more to get it. So uh, any thoughts on, I don't know if this is actually going to happen. I think in Ontario now the seller can choose if they'd like to do it this way, they can choose it, but it hasn't been forced that it's, it's going to open bids um is this the future because it's going to make people feel better about the transparency of it all but i don't think it's going to help prices and like you just said tim it's not going to create a bunch of new uh inventory (laughs) it's just another thing we're going to focus on instead of building homes
0: yeah i I think tom you're right on the money there um it, it it is a transparency measure it gives consumers and therefore realtors another choice on how to bring a home to market but if you think this is an affordability measure, um, you're, you're out to lunch. It is yeah, not yeah. going to impact affordability. Another classic uh, shiny bobble, because the Trudeau government nationally said they were going to eliminate the traditional offer process and go to open bids on everything. Thankfully, they don't have the authority to do that. It's up to the provinces and the Ontario government has said, no, we're going to focus on housing supply. So, so good for them. And we gave them advice in that matter. Um, Tom, if you're interested, Uh, You might want to have one of our speakers bureau come on and and do a podcast about Tressa because this is a major change Mm -hmm. in the new Trust and Real Estate Services Act to allow for open bidding. And they can walk you through all the details and how it's going to work. I expect this will come into play later on this year from our discussions with government. But basically, it will give the home seller the right uh, to share contents of offers with any other, uh, all or some of uh, others making offers around the table. Mm reason we lobbied for this we said give consumers a choice but make it a choice yeah. after all it's it's you know my sister's home she's depending on the value of that home she's paid into it so if she wants to do traditional with a realtor she wants to do an open offer process you cannot strip the homeowner for the right to decide what to do with their most valuable possession and then similarly buyers can say hey i'm in on that or i'm not in on that it's a new option but the notion that it's going to solve an affordability crisis it will not Anyway, more details, our, our experts can walk yeah, into it. Yeah, we'd
2: love, if you can make that connection, we'd love to have someone on to talk about that. Um,
1: yeah, and I, and I think what gets lost in the whole blind bidding argument is the, the closed bid system, which we currently run under, was brought in, get this, to protect the buyers. Because it was, hey, you know what? If everybody knows my offer, they can just outbid me. And if they have d- deeper pockets, I'm screwed. So I don't want everyone to know exactly how I'm offering and what I'm offering on because it's going to give them an advantage to outbid me, which is why we have the system we have in the first place. So bringing me back to, sorry, I'm just going to, before you time in on that, bringing me back to the fact that no matter what we do, we as Canadians just have to complain. (laughs)
0: Like this weather. Have you seen (laughs) <laughs> it's not hot. It's not hot enough today. It's, it's only twenty six. It's too <laughs> hot. <laughs> so, Steve, tell me more about that. I, I really, I, I was making some notes here because that really helps me in in the advocacy of real. Mm-hmm. So, so when was that? When was that brought so in the truth? I
1: I have not been able to find actual data um, that sh- protects when it happened because it okay. happened so long ago. But what I do know is every single time I run it, and I've mentored under somebody who's been a realtor since eighty two um and we ran our business together and every time i run into one of these guys that is now basically retired or or older than that they always talk about that they were like the whole thing was privacy back then the whole thing when they brought this in was we want to we don't want everyone knowing our business and our society right now has thrown that out the window now we get to know everybody's business all of the time so, again, let's look at the fairness of this. If we're going to do that, I want more transparency also from the buyer. I want to I want to maybe need to, I don't know, I want to know your financing situation. Can you give me something on paper that says you can afford this home, please? Because that's yeah. an issue here. Yeah. So, I, I don't mind fairness, that's fine. But fairness and not really being fair, which is what the governments do, they just, oh, poor little this guy or that guy is the one that's being taken advantage of. So that's going to influence my policy and get me votes. That's the problem I have. So getting back to your question, I apologize. I do this often where I go long. Um, I just, it, it was there originally. Let's even think way back. Let's think war times or whatever, when you, I don't know how real estate worked back then. But if two guys were walking up to the property and, you know, their old timey hats and their one eyed, uh, whatever you call those things, <laughs> those the glasses. Sure, yeah. yeah, they all had monocles back then. They probably would not want to have an open conversation about their their offer with the seller, with the other buyer standing right there. Sure, and yep. that's the basis of it, right? And that's what we're trying to do now. We're saying, no, this is going to go to. Well, I'll give you this much, and the other guy can hear your offer, and then he gets. So you want some sort of privacy. You're want some. you working out a deal with somebody and their property. And there is now, unfortunately, in our society, no emphasis put on privacy or um, the fact that I own my information and you don't own my information, right?
0: I'm totally going to steal that one.
1: There you go. I'm influencing, look at this. I'm influencing Ontario real estate. This is where you fun. go.
2: Um, one final thought on that. We've got a very, very good friend that we're going to have on the show that has, there's this new kind of open bidding system they're using in the States. Now okay. this is limited data at this point, but he, he's a team, they probably sell 250 homes a year. Like they're, they're a high producer in their market. And um, it's basically one where you can like click a button, like eBay, a buy now button if you want the house, but it's at the premium price. Over 50% of the listings they've used on this platform have people have clicked that button, which is very interesting. Now, you can also offer the minimum price, which starts the open bidding and then it goes for a period of time. But there's like a, but they also put value on if you have certain conditions and your offer is worth this much less. And it's very interesting. But so far, and again, I'm I'm acknowledging this is not thousands of home sales, limited data. The properties that sell through this platform have been selling for 7% more. And as a real estate agent, he's actually using it in his listing presentation to sellers saying, hey, we can go traditional or do this platform. This platform might get you more money. What do you want to do? So I just think it's super interesting. Like time will tell here how this is all going to work out.
0: Yeah. And at the end of the day, the buyers and sellers should choose. And it's your home. The government shouldn't tell you how to sell it. They should give you options. So at least we're on the right path in that respect. And we'll see how the new rules work out. And we can give an appearance, uh, Tom, when it fits on how this will play out with the new legislation.
2: Um, okay, last question I had for you here was just about the industry in general. Now this is NAR data, so it's not talking about Canada, but I, I feel like it's it's similar. Um, for the first time since 2008, real estate agents, like the growth of the industry, fell off in the states, where people were leaving the industry because sales volume was down 50% last year, and and things are changing. Is that something you're having conversations with with Oria to try to help people make it in the industry? Or is that just, you know, kind of what's going to happen when market drops off a little bit?
0: So we've not seen that yet, we have seen a slowdown in growth, right, right? their rate of growth. Um, But the rate of growth is still positive at the end of the day, and students continue to enroll in Realtor Pre-Licensing Education in the province of Ontario. Um, we, we did plan, we, we anticipated that we'd see a, a loss of, of Realtors. We did our budget at the end of the year just because of the state of the market. Uh, so far, Tom, that has not manifested uh, itself um, in our province. You know, wh- what do we do? Well, yeah, we, we try to give, um, we don't pick winners and losers. We don't say we like you, but we don't like you. We try to give Realtors the tools that they, that they need to succeed uh, in the business whether that's on the advocacy side or local boards and market data you talked about earlier on with Treb at our at our conventions. Uh, our job is to make sure we have high professional standards, you know, a good discipline system. We advocate so we can have more homes in the province uh, and provide uh, opportunity to see tools to help with success. Um, but we don't pick winners and losers. And so far, uh, we've not seen a drop.
2: Okay, well, that's that's encouraging to hear. Um, I think the rest of this year will be very, very interesting. Tim, this episode's coming out before the next Bank of Canada announcement. You got any wisdom for us on exactly what they're going to do? Because I know you you're the guy that knows, right?
0: Yeah, the, well, they, they did tell me, but you know. <laughs> Swore Only on. between
2: you, me, Steve, and a few thousand people, we're cool here.
0: <laughs> so you know what? I will make a I, I I will make a prediction that actually will be a hold. So okay. you can, you can see what Hudak says and what they come up with uh, after this podcast. But the uh, Hudak prediction will be a hold.
1: Okay. The YouTube comments are going to love you for about two or three days after this comes up. <laughs> <on. laughs> either, either way. I
2: appreciate you so much for coming back on, on the show a second time. Uh, I really, really enjoy speaking with you. I think your experience on the political side and now you know, the real estate side um, is rare that that people have had, you know, your career on both sides of this and and being honest with your answers and not giving the political answer like that you maybe had to do for a long time, um, uh, you know, g- giving the truth. And I think people need to hear that and we need to give people the facts and let them make decisions. And and I agree with Steve with everything he says, well, too, like if you're going to make it fair for one side, at least make it fair for the other side as well. Uh, any final thoughts on on just what you think people would need to hear homeowners, realtors, anybody?
0: Uh, well, I want to say thanks, to, uh, both, both you and Steve, Tom, uh, really appreciate uh, being on having a chance to speak with your, uh, your audience. Uh, once, once again, usually I make the audition. I do call back for a second. So thank you for <laughs> having me on. And appreciate what you said about the real estate perspective and the, the politics advocacy. And let's not forget the, the crime fighting aspect of what I do <laughs> in my state. But um, uh, so any, any, uh, you know, viewers listeners have an issue with the Joker, just give me a call. Uh, look, I, I, um, i i believe fundamentally in in the value of home ownership it is an abiding canadian principle we have realtors who are busting their backs to help people get a great place to to call home to move up and and to retire and i appreciate the work that they do and how hard they strive waking up every morning tom without a paycheck no guarantee in place you gotta hustle you gotta have high standards great reputation and hard work and it is an honor to have a chance to work with realtors Uh, and to be their advocate for a better business environment uh, going forward. So my shout out of thanks to them and maybe a future podcast, too. We have a a new realtor wellness program, a safety net for realtors, because all of us at some point, our luck may change. Mm -hmm. So it's an exciting new initiative for 96,000 members that we'll be happy to talk more about in the time ahead.
2: Yeah. And for anybody that's listened this far in there, I didn't uh, skip that question. I knew that it wasn't official yet in terms of when you guys were going to talk about it. So that is something uh, in the future that I think would be a very good open discussion as well, because like everything we talked about in this episode, people have opinions on everything, Tim. <laughs> um Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for being here. Steve, I normally ask for your final thoughts, but I think Tim just wrapped it up. Let's just move on here. Tim wrapped yeah, it up. Better supposedly. than I could do. Um, I want to thank everyone for watching on YouTube or listening on the audio platforms. I hope you have an amazing week. I hope you learned something new today because I know I did on behalf of Steve, myself, and our guest Tim. Have an amazing day, and we'll see you next Sunday. Bye.
0: Take care.